0: Excellent. So today we're on the last one uh, in our series of the Treasures of the Church. So we've looked at the Bible as the Word of God. We've looked at Jesus, our only Saviour. Last week we looked at our commitment to each other in uh, friendship, prayer, practical service and giving. And today, the last one of our Treasures of the Church uh, is the idea of sharing our faith with other people. So that's what we're going to look at this afternoon and hopefully make some sense of it as we go through. <laughs> Thank you. So also, uh, I thought I was thinking about this a bit earlier on today. That I'm not, I'm not certain I'm going to talk really directly about how to share your faith with other people or anything like that, but I think I'm sort of trying to look at some ideas that kind of go along the, alongside with sharing your faith. So, um, yeah, do you think have some questions for the end uh, if you want to ask something that you feel I haven't covered and you want to ask a question, please do really feel free um, and we'll see what we can do at the end. On that. Or if it's really appropriate, stick your hand up and we'll stop and we'll, we'll answer it then and there. Um, and if you keep doing it too much, I'll, I'll send Tim here to come and just kick you out uh, if it's been really disruptive. He's a teacher who knows what he's doing when handling a classroom. So, um, so let's, uh, let's make a start and see if it, it all makes sense. The clicker works. Excellent. Well, like um, I was mentioned earlier, this week we've been looking a little bit at the Trinity. We've been on a, a course up in Leeds. For, um, for, we went for a day and for an evening uh, and really enjoyed ourselves looking at the topic of the Trinity. And I thought, when we're looking at the idea of sharing our faith, we should probably start with God and why that matters to God and who God is and why, yeah, why God wants us to be sharing our faith. What is it that God's done in the first place? To make that sensible for us. So what is the mission of the triune God? That's where I just briefly want to start. And then we'll get on a bit further. So if you've got your Bibles open. If you flick on a couple of extra chapters to John 17. uh, While we're up in Leeds. The guy flicked to this passage and very briefly gave us a couple of minutes on a couple of verses. So if you find John 17. And it kind of really struck uh, some chords with me and what I was thinking. So the end of John 17 uh, verses 24 to 26 Jesus is speaking and Jesus says I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So what is the mission of the triune God? Here Jesus is speaking to his Father. We believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man and that God the Father is fully God as well. And that Jesus is praying to his Father. But, but what's... What's going on here about sharing your faith? Well originally here it says Jesus Jesus says to the Father, "You loved me before the, the creation of the world. So before you know soil existed, before plants were made, before the mountains had their footings put in, the Father was loving the Son in eternity and because of that, ultimately the world was made so that God's love could be spread abroad to more and more people. And Jesus comes into the world with a mission of taking the love that he's received from God and sharing that with other people. And he goes on to say, look, I know you, they don't know you, but they know now that you've sent me, I'm going to reveal you to these people. Jesus is saying, I've come into this world so I can bring your love from heaven to earth and to share that. With the people that I come into contact with. And what I want to do is I want to pass that on and share that with the people that I meet so that they can understand the smallest glimpse of your love that you've had for me. So I thought that is where God's idea for a kind of mission starts. It starts with Himself and wanting to share His love with more and more people. Ultimately, because of God's love, we exist. If it wasn't the fa- if God didn't you know, if God wasn't uh, a God of love, then what would be the point of creating the world for people who who can love one another and have friendships and relationships with, with each other? If God was a, a, you know, a solitary, a lonely figure in all of eternity past, well, if He'd made the world, He He wouldn't be in a, a place to know how to love and how to have relationships and how to to share things with them because He'd yeah He'd been on his own for all that long. Now imagine if you had a had a child and it was an only child and you'd all you'd ever done is just kind of let them play on their own and they'd never met anybody else. As soon as they, you know, go somewhere where they might have to share their toys, there's an easy snatching and running away and this is my toy and nobody else had ever wanted to play with it and they'd keep it to themselves, potentially, depending on how kind you are. But if God is a a triune God, if God is a community within himself, when he creates the world, he's used to to knowing and loving the other people in himself and he can share that with everyone uh, who he makes. And ultimately, because God is a community of love in himself, when he creates the world, he's not just trying to make himself a community of people who do exactly what he says for the sake of it. What he's trying to do when he makes a community of people is he wants those people to be his sons and daughters. So when God makes the world, he doesn't, make, uh, like, he doesn't, make, he doesn't want to create the perfect classroom where the, the pupils kind of sit in like, fear of their teacher, he creates people to be in his family. They're not about, he's not seeking people who are going to follow him perfectly for the sake of it. He's seeking people who are going to delight in their father. He's seeking to, to make a family of you know, sons and daughters who will long to delight in what their father does and that they'll um, be kind of made fully human by doing that. So that's God's mission. God is love in eternity past and he'll be love to eternity future and we're made in his image to love him and to love each other and ultimately God's mission is that we would love him a little bit like he loves us and his family would grow and it would spread throughout the whole earth. Okay, so let's click on. So this is my next slide. Two realities. When God made people, he made people as and eternal per, uh, eternal beings. We're not kind of temporary, we're not here for you know three score year and ten, and then we go in the ground and become worm food. God made people to last for eternity. So 500 years from now, 1,000 years from now, you know, a million years from now, we will exist. And you're probably thinking, well, I've already got enough wrinkles as it is. But, you know, in the new creation, we get a perfect body, it probably won't wrinkle, so that'll be fine. Or if it does, there'll be somebody there who has made the perfect anti-wrinkle cream, so it'll be fine, don't worry about that. But we are eternal beings. We, we are made for a relationship with an eternal heavenly father. But there are two realities that I want to mention. The first one is kind of God's perfect reality, that God lives... Um, God the Father dwells in heaven where everything is perfect and it's done according to his will. And there is another one. The reality of hell will be eternal as well. And these are two things that are going to last into eternity. The idea of, of the new creation, ultimately when Jesus comes back and judges the earth and the, the earth itself is redeemed and, and made to be perfect and people have their new bodies that, that won't wrinkle, the knees won't ache, you, know, you won't need glasses because your eyes will be perfect, all these sorts of things that reality is going to last into eternity. And hell will last into eternity. Both of these things will last forever. And both of them are real as well. And both of them are under God's control. Hell is under God's control. It's not under the kind of... of, Sometimes people see pictures in there. They see cartoons don't they wear. The devil's there with his pitchfork and his bright red and he's he's in hell poking people like shoving people into the fire or whatever he's doing that is not the picture of hell that the Bible gives the picture of hell the Bible gives is of one where the devil is sent there as a punishment along with uh, the angels that fell and the people who've chosen to reject God and it'll last into eternity and both of them are under God's control hell is not a place where, where God can't go because hell is ultimately a place where God's wrath will be poured out for eternity, which is quite a scary prospect. It's quite a terrifying thing to uh, to talk about to even say that, that hell is going to go on forever. But in one of these places, in the new creation, Jesus will be there. And if we're there with him, we'll be able to walk around and talk with him uh, all day long and enjoy perfect communion with God. We'll be able to you know, we'll be able to just walk around chatting with Jesus. We'll be able to spend time doing the things that, that we enjoy doing most ourselves and that bring glory to God. And we'll be able to, to have relationships with each other where no sin is involved, where we'll be just, you know, it'll be like the perfect, I don't know, the perfect world that we could ever imagine, but better. But one of these places, hell will be completely the opposite. Hell will not be a place where God's love is, is shown. It'll be a place where God's wrath is shown, and the other picture we sometimes get of hell in the Bible is a place of isolation. Sometimes you hear people say, I don't think I'd want to go to heaven because uh, I'd rather be with my mates in the other place. But the picture that the Bible gives, it's a place of isolation where, you know, where, where people are on their own. They, they've got no uh, relationships to have with other people. And there won't, be even, there won't even be a little demon that comes along with a pitchfork to poke them that they can you know, long to meet. Because he won't. In one of these places, in the new creation... People there will be fully human. They'll be able to to delight in God till their hearts content, and that will go on forever. And a, a question cropped up at youth the other day when I thought I've not given a very satisfactory answer to that, which was about um, it's kind of was the Garden of Eden not perfect? Then, if Adam and Eve were going to work the ground and, and make it different, and you know if it was going to become a city in the long term. And I gave okay, a kind of poor answer to it. And then thought when I got home. Actually, you know what's happening is, from the Garden of Eden to the new creation and from the new creation onwards, when we're there, developing music and things like that, is we're going from, the Bible would say, one degree of glory to another. All that we're doing is we're taking God's glory and, and we're forming it and we're doing new things to bring him even more glory. So, in the new creation, as we, we do things and we develop, we're bringing God more and more glory. But in hell, that's, that's not going to happen in hell. It's a place where it's almost dehumanising. People aren't able to have relationships. They're not able to, to do things they enjoy and that God enjoys. It's a, it's a terrifying prospect. But because of that, because there are these two realities, fundamentally, we need to be bothered about the size of the church. You know, sometimes people say, uh, sometimes say, of different church leaders, you're just, all you're interested in is the size of the church. All you're bothered about is kind of numbers in the church. And to be honest comes down to the fact that, yeah, we are like, fundamentally bothered about the size of the church because if the church grows, so does the, the, um, the population of the new creation. That's a good little rhyme. I could probably write a song on that. The population of the new creation. That's what grows. As the church grows, if people come to meet Jesus, they have their sins forgiven and they get put back into relationship with God, the number of people who will be in the new creation grows and the number of people who will be in hell will decrease. So ultimately, we want to be really bothered about the size of the church. And I don't particularly just mean this church. I mean the church all over the world. We want to see people from all countries flocking to the churches that love Jesus in those countries. Wouldn't it be amazing to hear, isn't it, well, isn't it amazing when you hear a place like China, when you hear that their church kind of system is just spreading and there are new churches being planted all the time and hundreds of people are coming to know Jesus. It's a wonderful thing and you know we pray that it will happen in this country as well. Basically, we want people who are eternal now to become eternal children of their eternal father. The question is, how do we do that? Ah, I was worried that we wouldn't know because the clicker wasn't working. But, here we go, let's see what happens. Secretly, or not secretly, depending... Basically on your gender, I think this works. Um, we all love stories, don't we, where the prince, it's probably Disney or something like that, the prince goes on a, like a quest to find the trapped princess in the tower somewhere, locked up by the evil witch, or something like that. We all, we all secretly love those stories, whether we admit it or not. We all secretly love those stories, I think. Uh, but I think the reason that we love those stories so much is because they just give a tiny little picture of what the Bible story is really all about. The big picture of the Bible story is a picture of God seeking a bride for himself. It's a picture of God coming out of heaven, coming to earth in Jesus, and seeking a bride, the church, for himself. Ultimately we don't you know people don't need to go and like search and seek to find God. He's not lost. God comes to find us. And that's where it all starts. It all starts with God coming to find us, God reveals Himself to the world. Jesus comes into this world, and He reveals God the Father to us. He says He's the exact represent- the exact representation of the Father. He's the image of the invisible God. So Jesus comes out of heaven as the Prince, metaphorically riding a wonderful horse to find and to rescue His princess who is locked in the tower by an evil witch and he comes to do that and that is the kind of the message that we want to share with people sharing our faith is all about telling people that God came looking for them because he loves them with the princess in the tower you know those stories are always before mobile phones and the internet and stuff like that so she couldn't have kind of texted him and said I'm stuck in the tower here's my GPS because we've got GPS on phones there was none of that he knew that she'd been locked up And he had to come find a fight off, you know, I don't know what are the like dragons that they normally fight and and massive monsters and a little army that are always surrounding the castle or they sneak in at the dead of night when all the guards are asleep. Um, you know, or whatever they do, they come in and they rescue the princess. So the message of the Bible, the message that we want to share with people, isn't of one where where God is a headmaster who's got a cane the size of China. We want to say to them, God is a a father who loves you and Jesus is this prince who wants to come and rescue you from the, the captivity that you're in. However, sometimes I think, particularly maybe in the West and in England, church sometimes looks a little bit cleaner than we see in the Bible. When Christianity started, it was a really messy business. Now, if you read through uh, the New Testament letters, you read things in there that, that you, know, you just would not expect from uh, people in churches. People, there's one chap in Corinth who's sleeping with his mother-in-law, and is, you know, that's just known about by the whole church. That's a messy business for someone to go and deal with. There are other places where people were trying to share the message of the gospel, and they were trying to plant churches, and they were being stoned for it in the kind of physical rock sense. Um, and they were getting beaten up all the time people were being shipwrecked left right and centre it was an amazingly messy situation early Christianity and the New Testament <coughs> examples of Jesus sharing the gospel are messy they're often culturally unacceptable, he's often sharing the message of the gospel with, with maybe the wrong people sometimes they bring suffering but often they're really fruitful and because there's grace available to us there's often a lot of, there should be a lot of room for mess within the church because God loves us even though ultimately we're really messy people. We've got all sorts of things wrong. But God still loves us and he sent his son as our prince to come and rescue us. So Hannah read to us from John 4. The woman at the well in Samaria. So just uh, let's have a quick brief look through this, this, uh, yeah, this account. It's an amazing thing that when Jesus and the disciples get, just get to the well, that they're in Samaria. If this is the Holy Land, Samaria is kind of here, kind of crosses over a bit. And if you wanted to go from the north to the south and say that it was kind of a straight road, it would take you straight through Samaria. Really devout Jews would say, actually, we're not going to step foot on Samaritan soil because that might make us richly unclean. We'll take the extra one or two days journey to walk right around the side of Samaria so that we don't have to go through it. If you were a Gentile, you could just walk straight through because you didn't like the Samaritans, but you weren't going to become richly unclean. But Jesus and his disciples, all of whom were Jews, head straight through Samaria. Effectively, they're kind of maybe in the back of the mind of uh, some of the disciples. Jesus has picked the wrong way to go because as good Jews, they probably should avoid Samaria. And this woman that Jesus talks to, who sat by the well, is a Samaritan. And the Samaritans were, they were originally... Um, Some of the people left from exile who'd... They were kind of Jews and Gentiles that they'd married together. And they bred this kind of half-breed race called Samaritans that were a mixture of Jews and Gentiles. So the Jews didn't like them because they were mixed up with, you know, Gentiles. And that was really unclean. And the Gentiles didn't like them because the Gentiles had got mixed up with the Jews. Um, If you're a kind of Harry Potter fan, they'd almost be like mudbloods, I imagine, I've only learned about Harry Potter recently. i show you how far uh, off I am. So these Samaritans are a really mixed up group of people. So essentially the Jews didn't like because they'd mixed themselves with the uh, Gentiles and the Gentiles didn't like because they got mixed up with the Jews. So they were kind of all on their own. Um, and then religion was a kind of mash-up of all sorts of different things. They started out with the, the patriarchs like Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and they built themselves a temple that was on Mount Gerizim, and it was kind of opposite from uh, the temple in Jerusalem. But their the kind of religion that all came about was really odd and quite unkind. It even led it at some points to child sacrifice in the temple, which is clearly not um, yeah, not what the God of the Bible decided for them. The next thing is that we read that um, it was the sixth hour when Jesus met this woman, which means it was about noon. And noon is the hottest part of the day. It's a hot country, it's the hottest part of the day, which makes sense that you'd want to have a drink at noon, because the hottest part of the day, you're in a hot country, and you've got no taps. But normally, women apparently would have come to the well in the morning and in the evening. And for this woman to be there would have have meant that she kind of was even not accepted by the Samaritans, who are this mixed group of people. Because if she was accepted, she could have gone in the morning and the evening with everyone else but for some reason she couldn't um, and I think we kind of find out why from Jesus because he asks, he kind of says go and get your husband and she says I haven't got a husband which is kind of a half confession really um, sometimes you know, people like half confession because they kind of feel they've got something off their chest but they've not given the whole story away because they don't want you to find out maybe the whole truth and he says and she says yeah I, I've not got a husband and Jesus says yeah it's correct you've not got a husband you've had five and the one you're living with now isn't your husband Uh, so she's got quite a checkered background and maybe that's why she's not um, you know accepted by the other groups of people who are there that that draw water as well from the well Uh, I didn't mean to say as well from the well, so that's that's a free one for you so it's just amazing isn't it, Jesus and also in this she's a woman men wouldn't have come and spoken to, to women like this in public. It even led to, I'm trying to think what they were called, the, the group of the bleeding Pharisees, I think they were called, who wouldn't speak to women, and to make sure that they couldn't possibly lust after a woman by looking at them wrongly, if they were walking in town or anywhere like that, they would close their eyes and just keep on walking, <laughs> which is why they were called the, the, the bleeding Pharisees or the, the Pharisees that were bleeding and bruised, because they would literally walk into stuff. They would keep their eyes closed and just keep on going so they couldn't see the women that they would you know, be terrified that they might uh, lust after and, and fall into sin. So, um, so yeah, so he shouldn't even be talking to this, um, yeah, to this woman because she was a woman. And then the, the disciples come back, don't they? And you can kind of imagine that, well, they've, they've all been sent off to buy lunch. You would think one of them would be capable on his own to pick up, like, 13 sandwiches, but clearly not. Um, so they come back and they see Jesus talking to this woman and, and it says they're kind of a bit worried to ask him they were, it says later on in there, in John 4 it says just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman but no one asked him, what do you want, why are you talking with her and then she goes off to do some other things so they were a bit shocked that Jesus had been talking to this woman however I think when we look at the church maybe in, in England particularly we go for a slightly cleaner and more comfortable lifestyle than maybe Jesus shows out in the Gospels and, and the early church goes for. And I think sometimes we have a... You go to some places and it's, it's really nice. All the people... If you go to sort of slightly old-fashioned churches, people come in and they're all wearing their nice hats and, and they're all in their kind of Sunday best and and they leave and they all smile and nod and, you know, eat really nice biscuits because somebody's been to Marks and Spencer's that week and brought some biscuits, which is alright because are only about six of them, so the biscuits in the last for eight weeks, so it'll all work out nicely. But there's no kind of met- uh, meeting with the messy people who are around them. I even spoke to um, somebody who's he's a, a national youth worker for a, a church group, and he was saying that, he, was, he I asked him kind of the state of, of the denomination that he works for, and he said, well, some of it's going really well, there's some really encouraging stories, then the other day I, um, I met a, a church and I asked for some help starting up a kids' work. And um, you know I got them together, we, we planned it out, we got, got things all sorted, and, um, and it was going really well. We had a load of kids. The first time, you know, for this kind of family event, the place was full. The church had not been full in ages. And then a few weeks into doing this kids' ministry, that he'd put all the effort in starting up and helping them to, to resource, uh, they decided to close it down because the church isn't for the community; it's for the people who are in the church. I thought, I'm not quite sure that that is particularly uh, yeah, the way that Jesus wanted the church to go in the first place. Another thing that sometimes surprises me, in a slightly odd way, in Yorkshire particularly, is that the church is often quite middle class heavy. We, we see very kind of few of the, uh, so much of the working classes in the church in the UK. But I was talking to another church leader the other day, saying, um, have you read this new book called Reaching the Unreached, the kind of reaching the, the working class in in the UK, which I thought was quite an interesting book to read. He said, well, I haven't, and the reason I'm not is because where my church is, it's in a reasonably middle class area by the kind of normal means of measuring, you know, whatever they are. Um, he said, but then, having talked to them, people from Yorkshire don't seem to like to be middle class, even if they are. So I think I will have to re- read it to kind of understand what Yorkshire people, uh, yeah, what Yorkshire people think. So it's just quite odd that he found that Yorkshire people, even though they are middle class, like to pretend that they're working class. And I said to him, you're exactly right, because I'm pretty certain that I am middle class, but I hate the fact that I, I would be considered middle class. Which, you know, it's really odd. So we have to know where we are. So uh, talk, to you, talk to people in a strange voice and they'll probably appreciate it. So when it comes to sharing our faith, we need to be people who are willing to get our hands dirty to say, actually, I wouldn't necessarily be comfortable doing this, or this may not seem right to people on the outside, but for the sake of the gospel... I'm going to go and I'm going to meet these people, I'm going to share Jesus with these people, whoever they are, wherever they are, and whatever they're doing, and whatever they have done in the past. The Gospel isn't just for a small, neat group of people. When Jesus picked his disciples, he picked a complete rabble. The ones that kind of always stick out in my mind, if you've got Matthew the tax collector, and um, what was his name? Simon the zealot. They're the two. Now, Matthew, the tax collector, though a Jew, was working for the Romans, the occupying forces, taking money off the Jews to give to the Romans. He was kind of beyond the pale of the Jews. And then you've got Simon the Zealot, who was so Jewish that he, it was, he was unbelievably Jewish. And they were the kind of people that if they saw a Jew doing, like, sneezing in the direction of a Gentile, they'd have mobbed together and kicked their head in because they weren't being you know, properly Jewish. So you've got somebody there who is, you know, effectively a Jewish, but an outsider because he's working for the Romans, and a crazy person who wants to, you know, make everything that he can possibly get his hands on Jewish. And Jesus pulls those people together, and he sends them out to work together as people who are kind of complete opposites. So the gospel isn't just for one type of people; it's for all people. Salvation isn't just for one group of people; it's for all the people who will believe. The Bible says that that um, that salvation isn't for the Jews but it's from the Jews it's for, it's for the Jews and it's to come out from those to the people in the world the whole point of Israel in the, in the first place was to be kind of a nation that the other nations would look at and they would say actually they've got something that is amazing and we want some of that and they would ask about it and that Israel would share the message of God with them and that it would kind of spread rather they looked inwards and, um, and it didn't happen they, were, they kind of separated themselves off from the world that they lived in. And they didn't share what God had given them. Okay. So, what is kind of sharing our faith all about, really? Firstly, it's a little bit about new creation. And not so much um, new creation in the future, after Jesus comes back and judges the world and remakes it. But it's about... It's a new creation that happens inside a person as soon as they uh, repent of their sin and put their faith in Jesus. They're given a new heart that loves God, that uh, hates sin, and that wants to change to be more and more like Jesus. And that is something that, um, that we should be praying that will be happening to people that we know who aren't Christians and that we can share the gospel with. And secondly, it is about the ultimate new creation, where all the tribes of the world, all the different peoples, being, all the different languages, will join in worship of God forever. And wouldn't it be wonderful if all the churches in all these different areas had like people in them that kind of represented all those different places? So if you were, yeah, we're a church in England, so we've got English people, but, but there are different sorts of groups of people out there in this area. Wouldn't it be great if our our church represented all the, the different types of people that live in this area. And we ought to be a place where there's, where there's space for people who have got like, messed up lives and difficulties that they're going through. Because we have, basically we have the answer to those. We have the grace that we've experienced through Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. And God shows that to people in the Bible that we want people who have got all sorts of difficulties to come in that we can share him with. And we don't need to kind of think, well, they're not the kind of people that we would normally associate with the church, therefore there's not as much space for them. We need to be a place where anyone can come in, no matter who they are, and we can share the message of the gospel with them, even if it might make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. And then, just before we go on to the last slide, we ought to be united uh, in God as sharing our faith and supporting one another as we go out into the world and do that. One of the Um, treasures of the church was this idea of being committed to each other. We should be committed to each other, to encourage each other and to support each other in sharing our faith as we go out into the world and we spread the good news of Jesus. Whether we're praying for each other or encouraging each other or saying, that person you spoke to the other week, how's that gone? What can I be praying for this week? You know, We can do all those sorts of things. And ultimately, we don't want to be um, a group of people who we want other people to become nice and polite people. We want people who are going to meet Jesus and start to live life loving God loving other people and having their sins forgiven. Sometimes it's, it's really easy isn't it to, to be in a church and just to be nice and polite and you, know, you may think oh isn't that person a, a, a wonderful Christian person but they may not have the slightest clue about the gospel at all. But they might be really nice and polite and therefore nobody ever asks them. Um, and I sometimes wonder when you go to places where, you know, there's when I was growing up I'll sort of go from that angle. When I was growing up I was in a church and I was in that church for probably thirteen or fourteen years, um, a little Anglican church where, you know, no kind of new people came unless they moved into the area which was really small and they were kind of church people. And up to the age of fourteen, I sat through the sermons because there was no Sunday school, it was just a small place. I could not have told you what the gospel was for the like For a million pounds, I couldn't have told you what it was. I would have really tried for a million pounds, believe me, at 14 and now. I would really try to uh, to tell you anything for a million pounds. But I didn't know anything of what the gospel was. But, you know, when I was at church, I was polite, reasonably, and, and nice, reasonably, to those people around. But it's so easy to be sat in a church, but not to be a Christian if you're nice and polite. So we don't want people to just become nice and polite people. We want people to accept and share God's love. So finally, these are the things that, as a church, we want to be committed to. We want to be encouraging and and supporting each other in. Um, so I'll just read through them. The so one was the Bible is the word of God. We believe it's true and has the authority uh, to, to to tell us kind of what to believe and what not to believe. We believe that Jesus is the only saviour. We be, uh, we believe that we should be committed to each other in friendship, prayer, practical service, and giving. And we believe that we should be sharing our faith with other people we believe that if we're committed to these things if we try and do these things together and support each other they'll change us to make us more and more like Jesus they'll help us to declare God's love uh, to his world and by the Spirit's work in our heart they will change us to be the people who will bring God more and more glory and hopefully as we go on as a church these are things that will become really obvious and that will be the things you think of when you think of our church so I hope that makes some sense I hope that you can uh, be encouraged to pray for one another with regard to some of these things and if you're yeah, if you worried you can go and ask other people in the church to pray for you um, and I hope that you'll be able to and be willing to take your faith and share it with other people so if you have any questions I will take them now Excellent. So I'll pray and then I'll hand over to the music people. Father, we thank you for the glorious message of the gospel. Father, we thank you that there is a way that people can go from not knowing you, being people who um, are headed to to hell, to being people who are um, forgiven for their sin. Because the Lord Jesus, the Prince of heaven, has come out of heaven. He's come to this world. And he came to rescue for himself, his princess's bride. And he did that by dying on the cross and, and taking the punishment that we deserve for our sin and for rising again and in, ascending into heaven. Father, we thank you that that is such an amazing truth. Father, I pray that you will um, encourage us with that once again today. Father, I pray also that you will encourage us to share that with other people. Not because we're, we're terrified of, of not keeping your rules, but because we want to bring you more glory and to enjoy or you want us to enjoy more and more, Father. I pray as the church as well. You'd help us to be uh, really committed to uh, loving you and loving the Lord Jesus um, in all that we do. Father, we thank you for your amazing love to us. That before the foundation of the world, you, uh, you were there was that much love within you that you wanted to share that with us. Father, I pray that you would help us to to know that, to believe that, and to be. Keen to share that with people that we meet, and Father, we pray that by that you would, uh, you would change, change the way that we are, the way that we think, the way that we do things, so that we'll be more and more effective in bringing you glory. And Father, I just thank you again for uh, the opportunity to meet with other Christians and to encourage one another. And Father, I just thank you again for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.